Hello again. Welcome back to Beer Books, the podcast hosted by yours truly, Daisy Ray and April Berry. And today we are also joined by Dean Wrigley and Tracy Spencer. We're all about appreciating indie authors. We have interviews and reviews, writing and reading you flash fiction stories. And best of all, getting authors noticed by their readers. So we've got three stories coming up then today. You'll hear mine last. Daisy's is sandwiched between mine and the one that we've got coming up now. Now, we've got something a little bit special for you on the podcast today, which we actually did pre-record. And then Daisy used her magic to seamlessly stitch it all together. Dean Wrigley and Tracy Spencer have written a story together. Now, the way they've written it, it would have been really hard for us to have read it out. So we persuaded them, well, actually Daisy twisted their arm, to come and take part and read the story as characters. We had an awful lot of fun doing this, I must admit. It did take a few attempts and we might release the outtakes later. So here we go then with Dean and Tracy's story. I never thought I'd curse the day. I tell you, Jim, I never thought I'd curse the day my daughter was born. How do you mean? Well, the wife had gone into labour, and on my final delivery of the day, Rothsey Avenue, when this crazy bitch opens the door and claims I'm the father of her kid. She reckons I shagged her five years ago, and her daughter's mine. I don't know what to do. The shock would kill my wife if she finds out. I can't even remember meeting this Tanya cow. Tanya? She had a baby? Yeah, a daughter called Leah. Jeez, what are you going to do? I'm going to call her. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call her. It's ringing. Hello, Craig. Have you decided she's yours yet? Look, Tanya, I don't even know you. How can you be so sure she's mine? Oh, she's yours. We met in the wagon. The wagon? I'm in the wagon now. Oh, yeah? I'm outside. I'm coming in. The front door of the pub swung open. It's Tanya. Craig watches as Tanya looks around the pub. She waves at the two men. Neither wave back. Hey, Craig. Tanya pauses. So you're going to support me and my kid? Hey, hey, hey. Craig stutters and Jim swigs his beer. Well, she's yours, so... So, hmm. Come on, move over. Tanya squeezes in a seat next to Craig. Do you want a drink? Jim downs the last drop of beer in his glass. Stands and moves towards the bar. Well, you know what I like, don't you? Jim goes to the bar, ignoring Tanya. Pint for you, Craigie. Yeah, I need one. Yeah, why is he calling you Craigie? Tanya looks puzzled. Because that's my name. But you know that already. Nah. Nah, you're not Craig. Yes, my name's Craig. You know it is, Tanya. No, that's Craig. The woman points at Jim. No, that's Jim. I'm Craig. Jim, but he, I, we... Tanya twitches. Hey, you what? He said his name was Craig. No, that's Jim, my best mate. But I picked up his wallet. Craig's wallet. What? When? Five years ago. Five? What? The night I fell preggers. Tanya stands up, slamming her hand on the table. Oi, you, Craig... Jim turns round with two pints in his hand. He's just about to walk back to the table when he looks Tanya straight in the eyes. Then Jim drops the beer glasses. Smash! Beer covers the floor and Jim's chinos. He looks like he's wet himself. Now you remember me, don't you, slime ball? 
Tanya goes towards Jim. You said your name was Craig. I gave you wallet back. You're pissed out of your head. No, no, he's not Craig. Craig looks lost. Hang on, when was this? Tanya turns towards Craig. Nearly six years ago, nine months before my Leah was born. But you said I was the father. What? No, mate, I'd remember you. But you said I was your kid's dad. You even trapped me into delivering a parcel to yours just so you could tell me about our daughter. Tanya bites her lip, then produces a card from her handbag. Craig gave me this after we'd done the biz that night. Craig takes the card, flips it over. It's one of his old business cards from when he was a window cleaner. I haven't done window cleaning in at least seven years. I didn't use these cards five years ago because they cost too much to get printed. Not you, him. It was him. He said his name was Craig. He gave me that card. Tanya points to where Jim had stood. Jim had disappeared from the pub. All that remained was a puddle of beer on the floor. Look, that bloke got me up the door. After I returned his wallet, he, Craig, bought me a couple of drinks. We got a bit tiddly-like. It was dark that night. He said he'd take me home. We only got to the pot. That's where we did the biz. What? But how come he had my card? The card was in his wallet. He gave me the card. Said it was his card. Craig goes bright red. Jim? Jim? You get your shagging ass back here right now. No, he's called Craig. Craig, come back. Craig, Leah needs her daddy. Craig. So how was it to write something together? We did the previous one, coming and opening the door. And we had two people, we had Tanya and Craig, our characters. And uh, we decided to just continue their story. Who writes what? Well, I, I told Tracy what the title was for this um, this story. She came back with an idea of what it could be. Mm. I wrote half of it and then handed the phone to her and she wrote the other half. And then this morning I edited it. Yeah. Okay, so it's not you write your character and then Tracy writes hers. It's a case of you, you do part of the story each. Yeah. That's how yeah. it worked this time, but last time it's different because we sat so here together and did it, didn't we? I think because we'd already worked on these two characters, we had some sort of like a branch to go off on. That idea to collaborate again with this and take it further was there and it might have been possible to take it to a second and a third um, piece with the characters, but it just seemed like you couldn't keep people hanging on too long, so you want to put an end to the story sort of pretty much immediately, don't you? So people know what's going well, on. Well, we've only got a thousand words to play with. Yeah, so, not too. So, um, yeah, we've used less than that, mm. I'd say. Yeah, I thought it was a really good idea and a really good concept. Um, mm. And sometimes it is nice just to have a, a sort of sequel to the first story. But I've a very clever idea. Funny you say that because my second flash fiction was January Sales. I used two characters in there a husband and wife, and um, I'm already thinking of maybe those could be my permanent characters. Yeah. So I shall revisit them in, in future flash fictions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I've yeah, got an idea of keeping keeping some sort of continuity going. It's an easy thing to do, though, isn't it? I did it with Norman and Millie, my married couple in my first two. Yeah. Except I've killed off Norman now. <laughs> yeah, so you can't really use what? them again. You see, I've not done that. 
Yeah. I've, I've used different characters for each story that I've written. Yeah, but yeah. It, yeah. But it is a thought to sort of pick a couple of characters yeah. up, you know, and, and write a few stories around them. Yeah. I did think Millie might grow into a bit of a serial killer, you know, Isn't as you do. Yeah. husband in the garden. Yeah. Here's some information. What is that? That's Siri. <laughs> My watch is telling me about serial killers. <laughs> Thanks, Siri. <laughs> Love it. That's brilliant. So are you going to collaborate on more stories together or are you going to write individual ones or a bit of both maybe? Well, I've already got ideas for future stories from my own. I guess that every now and again there will be opportunities for us to mm. to continue the story. So um, these yeah. people, so, uh, yeah. see how it goes. I was yeah, toying with the idea of having a prompt-free chapter for the book at the end of the year and letting everybody do a flash fiction of their own choosing without a prompt and see what we get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah whatever you want to write. So a th- 500 to 1,000 words of whatever you want to write about. Yeah, that exactly be- that. Hmm. I think that would depend on how sick people are. It could be fluffy. And I don't people mean poorly. sometimes write fluffy stuff. What is your genre that you're writing under? What sort of stuff? The flash fiction is whatever you want to make of the writing prompt. It's not the genre that's set, it's just the writing prompt. Yeah. Okay. There's no particular subject that you're looking at? Nope. I think it's a great idea because it gets you to think about things and actually practice your writing. Yeah. You know, yes. you've only got a thousand, thousand words to play with. You need to be descriptive, concise. I actually re- I was reading Wilkie Collins a few weeks ago and apparently he used to look at pictures and describe what was going in in a picture really oh. deeply in depth and no descriptively which was what made him such a great writer himself because he was able to describe so well it was actually practice oh. which it's always practice the more you do something the better you get that's it's true the same with it's the same with writing it's the same with with ideas you know the, the more that you you're able to put down the more you're able to practice, the better you'll get. Yeah. That's how I see what I'm doing here with you. Yeah. Hopefully improving my writing. You do have to think about it because you don't have the opportunity to wax lyrical and, and let yourself run away with your words. And I remember April saying a few weeks ago that um, her first story was about 1,500 words long when she'd first, when she, her first draft and, and she had to cut it down to size. So I remember that member saying that distinctly. So yeah. yeah, so you do get to to be more concise. Yeah, it's about it's about using the I think about using your words cleverly as well. Yeah. So when you're actually writing, you can think in and it I think it increases your vocabulary a little bit because what you're doing is you're thinking, well, is there a word out there that can replace these four? Yeah. Good point. Yeah, I agree. I think it just shows the creativity that people have inside of them, but they don't tend to use it. And maybe that's something we're all missing out on in our daily lives. Yeah. It's nice just to push ourselves a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We could have, yeah. I think a lot of people could get a lot from it mentally and creatively. Yeah. The more we do, the more regular we are, so to speak. That sounds like I need to go for a poo. Yeah, that sounds like an advert for Seneca. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Maybe you could get advertising payment from uh, Seneca. 
<laughs> this regular and then this regular. <laughs> <laughs> funny, that's funny. What a brilliant conversation. Thanks ever so much to Tracy and Dean. We're now going to listen to Daisy's story. Chris and Dawn spent weeks going through their dad's house, sorting all his stuff into piles. What to keep, what to sell, what to donate and what they could throw out. And while Chris examined everything closely looking for clues about who their dad really was, Dawn looked like she really couldn't care less, not even a little bit curious about the man that made them. They waded through their dad's world of fads and short-lived hobbies. In the shed, they found unused gardening tools, art supplies still in the packaging, and a treadmill that still had the price tag attached. They went through every room in the house with a fine-tooth comb, treasures appearing in the most unlikely places, like the drum kit that was buried under a mountain of dirty washing in the back bedroom, along with a guitar case that had no guitar, and a dusty box full of knitting needles, and not so much as one ball of wool in sight. Loads of junk to throw out, but loads of stuff to sell, Chris exclaimed. It all looks like it was bought on the cheap to me, Dawn sighed, and he briefly wondered how she knew. Chris didn't remember his dad being a bad man. He did some of the stuff that dads do, like teaching Chris to play football, taking them to goose fear. He even bought them a rabbit once, not that they ever looked after it, despite the promises. It was just that these things were few and far between and what he was really consistent with was being absent, starting when they were still little, with missed birthdays, not turning up for school plays at Christmas. By the time Chris was eight, their dad only managed to turn up for a visit once or twice a year and Dawn would slink out without a word to a mate's house and mum would vanish into the kitchen to make tea leaving Chris to eagerly tell his dad about all that was going well in the world, hoping for a word of praise that usually came in the form of, "Uh uh-huh, while he kept an eye on the door. Dawn left home when Chris was 14, and their dad came around even less often after that. Chris did a passable job at faking indifference to his dad's absence as a teenager, and their dad just drifted further and further away. When Dawn got married, their dad was invited to the wedding, but it was Chris she asked to walk her down the aisle. And at Dawn's request, Chris was the one to sort out their dad's bedroom. The bed still stank of sickness and the furniture in there was mostly empty, just neglected, dusty stuff to throw into bin bags for Black Bin Day. All the clothes that must have been in there once upon a time were now part of the laundry mountain that had been burying the drum kit. Despite his years of faking indifference to his dad's absence, Chris now had carte blanche to dig through every single bit of his dad's life and it just added to his lifetime of disappointment. No hidden boxes of treasure to show he'd loved or cherished his children in any way. No photographs, no diary full of what-ifs. It all made Chris feel a bit daft. Last year, it was Dawn that told Chris that Dad was ill. Oh, by the way, she added at the end of their monthly phone call, Dad's been in the hospital. He's okay now, back at home. Listen, don't worry about it. She'd trailed off there and there was nothing else to say really. Chris didn't call back about it and neither did she. And the next time they spoke, she told him, totally devoid of emotion, he's dead. So here they are, sorting out all his stuff into piles. What to keep, what to sell, what to donate and what they could throw out. And in all that stuff, there was nothing to shed any light on who their dad was. 
Chris lugs his bags and boxes out the door with his sister and wonders why there was no one left who knew him. And when they were finished, they stand side by side on the lawn looking back at the house devoid of life. And Chris mutters, I should have gone to see him, you know, before. Dawn looks at him, slowly shakes her head. She rests her hand on his shoulder, not quite disguising the incredulous look on her face. And for a moment, Chris is sure she's about to tell him something he should already know. But all she says is, see you at Easter, little brother. And then she's gone without looking back, bounding down the pavement towards her car with a lightness in her step he's never seen before. A light bulb switched on in Chris's mind and he stood with tears in his eyes as he muttered, I never thought I'd curse the day I found out more about Dad. I do like that. It's a little melancholy. <laughs> uh, and a little bit sad, but I do like it. Thank you. A big thumbs up from me. I can't get my words out. <laughs> Chris and Dawn. I don't yeah. know whether I actually feel sorry for them or not. In fact, I don't, I don't think I do. I mean, Dawn was glad to see the back of it all. She was, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. You made me laugh when you were talking about short-lived fab, fads and hobbies. That, I that wonder where that came from. I wonder where that come from, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm just kind of trying to think in how many, you know, unwrapped art stuff you've got lying around. and Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is my life, that is. That, I was going to say that was very, very much something that you've drawn from your own experience there. Yeah, from the harp that's in the middle room to the musical instruments around the house to... Yeah. I've got art supplies lying around that I've not used. You're terrible, you really are. <laughs> I don't have a box of dusty knitting needles. I think I threw that one in there just because we seem to have had a little bit of a recurring knitting needle theme through several people's stories. We do. However, no, I do remember helping you move house once and you did have a bag of knitting. I still have that bag. Have <laughs> you ever done anything with it? In fact, <laughs> I am still crocheting the baby blanket for the birth of Leo. Oh, cracking! What's Leo now? Six? Five. Five. And well, I've not, not finished it. I'm not that far off, am I? Blimey, I bought the wool to do errands. She's four. I've not started that one yet. I remember, didn't you start knitting me a scarf once in about 2010? Did you ever get that? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've drawn on a little bit of self-knowledge yes, there, I think. definitely for that Definitely, bit. definitely. Yeah, I, I know, I still don't feel sorry for Chris or, or Dawn. <laughs> I mean, I feel so, don't feel, really feel sorry for the dad, but there's reasons sometimes why dads don't always visit, because they're not always welcome. That's very true. They're not always welcome. No, they're not. I mean, you get warring mums and dads who've divorced and... And the visit from father to see the kids becomes more of a battleground with his ex-missus than it does a, a nice visit with his children. So, Yeah, it's not really an incentive to go, is it? No, no, not at all. But I did like it. I thought it was... It, it had a nice pace to it as well. Cool. Yeah, I was I was very impressed with that. I think out of all of the ones that, that we've done so far, I'm not saying it's my favourite story because... I think Rudolph will always be my favourite story. But this one had a real flow to it and a real sort of... The words made you get yourself immersed in the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was really, really impressed with that. It was fun to write. I know it is a little bit melancholy, like you say, and, and there's more 
to the Dawn and Dad story that's hinted at and not gone into in any way, shape or form. But it was fun to write because I do have loads of fads and I could put them in there. Yeah. I've used family names, so I've put them in there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, you have, haven't you? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All this little bit of this and a little bit of that and... Yeah, you have pulled from your life a little bit there, haven't you? Yeah. I say I've got knitting needles in there because other people have used them, but I've not knitted anything or killed anyone. But I kind of had knitted little bits of everybody's lives into the one story. So maybe I did knit in the end. Maybe you did. I quite like that. That's rather a nice uh, analogy. What I'm looking forward to is hearing your story. Right, Okay. Are you sat back, relaxed with your cuppa? I'm ready, I'm ready. Have you ever looked back in time and pinpointed a day in your life that changed everything, be it in a good way or a bad way? My pivotal moment, I really believe, was the day that started, like all others, early morning alarm, shower, breakfast, coffee, commute, all the normal stuff for me. However, one thing changed all of that. I caught an earlier bus. My next door neighbour was on the bus, but not with her husband. So let me explain, there are two bus stops within 400 yards of each other where I live. She was snuggled into the back seat of the bus with the wife of another of my neighbours. Taken aback, I didn't know where to look. Were they embarrassed? No. And they both said hello to me. At least they kept up the social niceties. Ten minutes into my journey, my colleague joined me on the bus. Oh no, she just talks incessantly. Well, no more reading for me. As we approached town, I got off earlier than normal. What is happening today, I thought to myself. As I was walking to work, I passed a coffee shop. The aroma was so enticing that I couldn't resist doubling back and joining the very long queue, treating myself to a nice coffee. I've not really been out much lately. All of a sudden, I heard a commotion behind me and someone ran into the shop, waving what at first looked like a baton, My eyes widened when I realised that it was actually, in fact, a gun. The screams from the queue ran round the shop and reverberated up the street, where the majority of the queue were. Obviously, we were social distancing. Everybody had got masks on. Suddenly, a loud pop was heard from inside the shop and the guy with the gun came running out. Everyone was rooted to the spot, unable to move. You could see the differing expressions in people's eyes, shock, fear... A few were visibly crying. The queue was dispersing, leaving only a few of us still there. Adrenaline coursing through my body, I felt no fear, and I made my way into the shop, where I noticed a few people crowding around the counter of the shop. I dialed 999, asked for the police, and gave them all the details that I knew. As I had a proper look at the person on the ground, to my horror, I recognised my next-door neighbour, quite badly hurt her companion was kneeling down beside her of course it's my other neighbor the ambulance arrived i gave my statement to the police and left the scene to go to work some form of normality descended on my day and i was relieved when i was on the way back home arriving home i was stopped by my next door neighbor's husband who regaled to me everything that happened to his wife that day He had just returned, apparently, from the hospital, where, due to the Covid restrictions, he wasn't able to see his wife. I stood and looked at him with a sinking heart. Do I tell him what really happened? As I left him at the end of his drive, I cursed the day 
I caught an earlier bus. Now I have to live with a secret that isn't mine or risk destroying lives, ruining friendships. Do I tell him his wife is having an affair or do I keep quiet and compromise my integrity? To say you were unsure about this one, I actually think it's one of your best. Do you? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You are welcome. It was a pleasure to listen to. I like the way it's just an ordinary day, commuting, coffee, on the way to work, there's the neighbours, same old, same old every single day. And you start out like that and you end up forced to keep secrets about an affair that you never knew anything about previously. So do you keep it? Do you tell? And the other thing that is intriguing is the affair is with a woman, which previously, I'm not sure how the law stands at this current moment in time, but previously a woman couldn't have an affair with another woman. It was deemed absolutely fine. It you couldn't even divorce someone for having an affair with another woman. I don't know if that's the case any longer. So was she having an affair or wasn't she? I never even thought of that. That's a really strange way of looking at it. Misogynistic world we're living. Yeah. But it was just the dilemma of something that happened just because I caught an earlier bus that yeah. changed the whole of the way that life is. You know, next time, stop in bed a bit longer. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I have gotten to hasten to add that none of this is true. <laughs> Just in case my next door neighbours are listening. Well, you have to say that. Does you, Do your neighbours listen to this podcast? I don't know. I've got no idea. You don't know, do you? But, well, yeah, you, don't, this... you don't want your male neighbour to be listening. No, it's I don't. going to be sitting there thinking, oh, is she talking about my wife? <laughs> yeah. The problem is I've only got two neighbours because of where I live. Ooh. Ooh, paranoia. Yeah. I know, yeah. Maybe I should have thought about it before I wrote it a little bit but a little bit better, shouldn't I? No, no, I really like it. Moral dilemma. Yeah, yeah. Do you keep this? I mean, first of all, it's a horrendous thing to have to go through to see somebody shot and on the floor. Yeah. I mean, that's traumatic. That's the sort of stuff therapy's made of. And then to me. go home and you're running into the neighbour as well and you're having to go through all this trauma and keep it a secret. You know, where's your headspace in all of that? All you're really having to consider is your neighbour's secret, your, your husband, your neighbour's husband. Yeah. Looking Not yourself at, at all. No. And if you, if it was kind of, you know, sort of, can you imagine having to sort of face both neighbours knowing that they're having an affair behind their husband's backs? Lots of food for thought in that one. I really do like that one. Oh, I don't you know what much. you were worried about. No, I think I was a little bit concerned because it was a bit ordinary. But actually, when, you, when you've analysed it, it's not ordinary, is it? Not even a little bit, no. no. It starts out bog standard. Here you are on your bus away to work another day. Yeah. And then, boom, your little world blows up. Exciting. I really liked it. Thank you very much. Join us next week. I have recently been reading Saving Grace. It's a psychological thriller by D.M. Barr. So far, so good. Enjoying it very much. What are you reading? I'm reading a book called Murder at Melrose Court 
And it was the description that kind of caught my eye because um, it's a little bit of an Agatha Christie meets P.G. Woodhouse meets Downton Abbey with a dog. <laughs> with a dog, I like that. With yeah. a dog. <laughs> oh, Saving Grace is, um, it's got a lot of control issues. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out and whether... Grace gets out from under the control of all of the people that are moulding her life for her, where oh, she well. really doesn't need it. And I'm reading a book about Mr Fogg the dog and Tubbs the founding kitten. <laughs> Who knew that you were going to turn out to be the fluffy one? It's murder. That's true. Yeah, all right then, I'll let you off. We'll see you next week then. Take care. Yeah, take care, guys. Stay safe. If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod One on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe until next time. Let's go.